Blog Talk Radio. Controls the present, controls the past. The death of bin Laden marks the most significant achievement to date in our nation's effort to defeat Al-Qaeda. All you got to do is start looking around, start thinking for yourself, start investigating things, and you will see it all right there. So you have the power. Humanity has the power. We have the power. Do you want to fight? You better believe you've got one. Let us never tolerate outrageous conspiracy theories. And for me, give me liberty or give me death! The answer to 1984 is 1776. What if the American people woke up and understood that the official reasons for going to war are almost always based on lies and promoted by war propaganda in order to serve special interests? What if we as a nation came to realize that the quest for empire eventually destroys all great nations? What if the American people learned the truth? The FBI has foiled about 17 plots to kill Americans during the past 10 years. What it will not tell you is that there have been 20 foiled plots, and of them, three were interrupted by members of the public. The 17 that were interrupted by the feds were created by the feds. Why do we pay the government to trick us into believing it is keeping us safe? What if a government that manipulated us could be fired? What if a government that lacked the true and knowing consent of the governed could be dismissed? What if it were possible to have a real game changer? What if we need a Ron Paul to preserve and protect our freedoms from the government? What if we can make elections matter again? What if you could love your country, but hate what the government has done to it? What if sometimes to love your country, you had to alter or abolish the government? What if Jefferson was right? What if that government is best which governs least? What if I'm right? What if the government is wrong? What if it is dangerous to be right when the government is wrong? What if it is better to perish fighting for freedom than to live as a slave? What if freedom's greatest hour of danger is now? It's critical that every citizen of this country rise up and do something because the day of reckoning is at hand and time is running out. Unless we do something, um, we're going to get the government that we deserve. How did you let this happen? Wake up out there. You know, it's your children. Don't you care? Uh, look what these people are doing to you. There are 200 million adults in this country. 
why we are letting them get away with what they are, why we're not marching in the streets. Do everything in your power to restore freedom and your individuality back to America. Stop being a country run by the institutions for the institutions. Let's go back to we the people, by the people, for the people. You have to stop being scared. You have to stand up and do what's necessary to take back, to stop these bankers, these elite, this government full of lies, congressmen full of liars. And the Federal Reserve. And the fractional banking system. And the Fed. Elect Ron Paul and the war. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Don't give yourselves to brutes. Men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think, or what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men, with machine minds and machine hearts. You, the people, have the power. And people still don't know what the hell the Federal Reserve Banking Cartel is. 
But we're going to go in now. I'm going to play a little documentary here on the bank, Federal Reserve. We're going to go inside the Federal Reserve. This is a fresh, fresh new documentary that uh, is out there and uh, should give you a little inner workings of what's going on. It's, it's uh, I'm telling you what's going on with the Fed. This isn't, no, it's not the old one there. I just got a message. It's not the Money Masters. That's old. That's from 1996. But that's a good documentary, though, if you want to learn about the Federal Reserve and, and learn about a cure to solve money. And then after it, we're going to come up with ideas on how, because you have to have control of your bartering system. You have a bartering system set up amongst the people. You have to have that. We know what, we, what I stand for here about law and a country of laws, the Constitution, restore the original Constitution, restore our, our republic. We know that. We've been over that a million times. But we have to have a bartering system also getting ready to put in place because you can't have people just taking what they want, getting what they want, or getting anything for free. Okay? It's just the way it, it's just the way it is. I'm sorry. But uh, we're going to get into that. And then hopefully a buddy of mine, Joe Miller, will uh, give a call in here tonight from Connecticut. I asked him to call in. Uh, and wanted to give a little message here, and uh, two nights now I've been waiting for him, so I don't know if he's going to call in or not. Uh, but, uh, hey, we're all in those busy lives. After all, what can one person do? So we're going to go into the Federal Reserve Banking Cartel here. Let's pull this one up and uh, get this started. And uh, audio shoot quality should be pretty good. So we'll go with this. Here we go. Americans are living on the edge. Have you got any income at the moment? No. So you're not making any money at the moment? No. But while businesses were shuttered and millions were left unemployed, one place has been thriving like never before. Stocks surging even as America enters its darkest chapter yet of this pandemic. On Wall Street, it was a banner year. Uh, the market has been open for 30 minutes and gone straight up. The Dow rising nearly 18% is the best performance since 1987. After a major dive, markets reached record highs. The pandemic would turn out to be a blip in the longest bull market ever. The price of stocks has skyrocketed, and so has the wealth of those who own them. Elon Musk has added over $10 billion to his wealth just this week. Some see signs of mania. This GameStop situation, we will never encounter a setup like this again. As more Americans try to get in on the party. Right now, we're in an raging mania. Some worry a crash is to come. It's the burst of euphoria that typically brings these things to an end. As the financial world has been diverging from the real world, I've been trying to understand the many forces at play. And I found one institution has been at the center of it all. The Federal Reserve, the nation's central bank. It is the most powerful and least understood institution in the country. And it really is difficult to overstate how important this story is and how big this story is and how much it matters. I've been speaking to current former Fed officials. Is that really the first time you're in a suit since COVID? From the waist down. Can I take my mask off? Economists and titans of finance. Nobody knows how this is going to turn out. This is an experiment. I've heard that over and over, that we're living through an epic experiment run by the Fed. I believe this is the economic story of our time. An experiment that has been dramatically changing the American economy. If you want to understand how today's financial has grown so far removed from the real world and the role of the Federal Reserve, you need to go back to 2008, when investors, speculators, and Wall Street bankers nearly brought down the global economy. 
We were building the plane while we were flying it. Everything in the markets is a confidence game. So, the Fed exists to restore confidence when all confidence is lost. William Cohen is a writer and former banker who worked with us during our months reporting this story. The idea of lowering interest rates and the idea of quantitative easing was basically pulling out all the stops to make it cheaper to borrow. Basically, by making money so inexpensive, by suddenly it being abundant and cheap and easy to get, they just flooded the zone with capital. Easy money. Easy money. Trillions of dollars of easy money. Like the greatest experiment in easy money in history. All that easy money sparked a rally in the stock market. We saw it take its effect almost immediately. The market reacted. I was a little bit surprised it took off that fast. How was that viewed inside of the boardroom? Was that seen as success? Yes, it validated what, what we thought would happen. That's what we thought would happen. When you drive interest rates down all the way out, it forces investors into taking bigger steps on the risk spectrum. Cheap money is the fuel for a financial speculator and for a financial investor. What Fisher and other former Fed insiders told me is that the stock market rally was no accident. By design, the Fed's QE program effectively lowered long-term interest rates, making safer investments like bonds less attractive and riskier assets like stocks more attractive. It was hard to argue with the results. Stock prices kept going up. The old saying is, don't fight the Fed. Don't fight the Fed. Don't fight the Fed. Rule number one is you don't trade your time is don't fight the Fed. I don't know what the hangover is going to look like down the road with all this extraordinary stimulus, but for now, the markets love it. Don't fight the Fed. Take care. Roll one. You look at me. So, so it's, we're approximating an in-person interview. It'll work. It'll work. Mohammed Alarian remembers it well. He was running the largest bond fund in the world at the time and made a fortune for his firm following the Fed's lead. Don't fight the Fed. The Fed is the one institution that has a printing press in the basement and there's no limits to how much it can use. That is what makes the Fed such an influential player in the marketplace. Keep an eye on the Treasury market. Alarian's firm helped advise the Fed on its QE experiment. He told me the expectation was that the low interest rates and QE would have a strong knock-on effect on the wider economy. That was the theory. In practice, the Fed was very successful in terms of moving asset prices. It was much less successful in moving the economy. And the result of that is we got the largest disconnect ever between Main Street and Wall Street, between the economy and finance. The banks are sitting on their butts and they're still not lending money. And until One of the problems was that the banks were holding on to a lot of the money instead of making it available to borrowers. The banking sector is broken. At the Fed, Andrew Hussar was disappointed by what he was seeing. I have great respect for the Fed. Uh, I never question, and I, to this day I will never question the intention. What I question, rather, is whether their tools are able to help the American people um, in the way that they believe. I 
came out of QE1 100% believing that it was necessary because we actually helped to stabilize the economy, but wondering if there wasn't a fundamental problem with the approach in that the tools of the Fed worked through the Wall Street banks and in so doing uh, were disproportionately benefiting the wrong people, the people who didn't really need the help. So basically what you're saying is that you were seeing in practice something very different than what was supposed to happen theoretically. Yeah, I saw, I saw that uh, Wall Street is a private sector actor and Wall Street has its own interests and Wall Street can do what Wall Street wants. And the Fed was, on some level, at the mercy of, of Wall Street. Usar and others inside the Fed had been counting on Congress to step in and help correct the imbalance, target more money to Main Street and the wider economy. But then, politics took a sharp turn. We've come to take our government back! Tea Party supporters put Republicans in charge of the House. We need to restore fiscal sanity to this nation. Dimming prospects for Congress and the White House to work together to stimulate the economy. The Fed was on its own. Was it palpable that the Fed was sort of the only game in town here? Uh, yes. The fact was, we were carrying the load all by ourselves. The day after the midterm elections, the Fed announced it would do another round of quantitative easing, not just to stabilize the economy, but boost it. Fed Chair Bernanke promoted the plan, writing that it would create a virtuous circle, with lower mortgage rates making housing more affordable and higher stock prices boosting consumer wealth. He went on television to counter critics who were warning the decision risked causing inflation. Being as they're looking at some of the risks and uncertainties associated with doing this policy action, what I think they're not doing is, is looking at the risk of not acting. I wanted to talk to Bernanke, but he would not agree to an interview. But I did speak to Sarah Bloom Raskin, who was on the Board of Governors at the time. So many of these tools um, had not been tried before. They were definitely like break the glass kind of tools. Like what are we going to do in order to restart the economy here? You voted for quantitative easing too. What was your thinking there? Right. So um, my thinking was that uh, we still had an economy that was far from its potential. As QE began, it showed great promise. Uh, we started to see that people's um, sense of um, economic well-being was ticking up somewhat. Uh, people were finding jobs. People were finding homes. Uh, the foreclosure rate had slowed. Uh, so there was a sense that something was working. And for that reason, it was, in my mind, worth supporting. But outside the Fed, some were saying that the costs of quantitative easing might already outweigh the benefits. A lot of talk about quantitative easing, QE2. Uh, the likelihood that that will have a significant effect is close to zero. But the markets love it. Joseph Stieglitz is one of the most well-known economists in America and a winner of the Nobel Prize. So you're doing a uh, documentary on the Fed and monetary policy? We are trying to. Okay. Are we insane? I, no, no, no. I think it's a great idea. Okay. I'm a... Stieglitz told me that while the Fed was doing some good, he had greater concerns at the time. 
the main thing I was concerned about was that the way they were trying to revive the economy was a kind of trickle-down economics. The way quantitative easing works is that it's a lowering of the interest rates that leads stocks to go up. And so who owns the stocks? It's the people in the top, not just the top 10%, 1%, one-tenth of 1%. And so it increases enormously wealth inequality. We had had increasing inequality really since uh, the late 70s, and this was putting that on steroids. So the immediate objective of saving the banking system uh, was achieved, but the broader objective, which was helping the economy recover quickly in a robust way, in a way with shared prosperity, total failure. What sort of response did you get from folks at the Fed to what you were saying at the time? Our mandate is to do what we can to increase employment, to use the tools we have, and that's what we're doing. Was that even part of the discussion at the time in the boardroom, whether there was any risk of exacerbating wealth inequality? There were strands of that, I would, um, I, I, I recall. The, these kind of costs were considered speculative because, again, the tools hadn't been used before. So there wasn't a clear sense as to what would, you know, sort of what the impact would be. There was some discussion of it, but not definitive. Some saw wealth inequality as a trade-off. There's nothing you could really do about it. But it was, a, in my mind, in my discussion, what I would present at the table, it would want to be one of the consequences we just had to be mindful of. That doesn't mean we shouldn't have done what we did. For Andrew Hussar, it was time to walk away from the Fed. It was a while ago, but whenever I come back here, it's a very special feeling. I bet. You were still working in this building when this round of quantitative easing happened. What was your reaction to it when that happened? I was not surprised by the announcement, but I was incredibly demoralized. What I was seeing outside of, of the Fed was rising demands from Wall Street that the Fed continue its stimulus, the idea that the, the sky was going to fall if the Fed didn't continue to, to print money and, and give it to the Wall Street banks. And yet nobody was giving a coherent explanation as to how the Fed showering trillions of dollars onto Wall Street banks was actually directly benefiting the average American. And I'll tell you why they weren't uh, talking about it, because it doesn't. We did not see the knock-on benefits that we had hoped for the average American as much as we wanted to. Why is this kind of an emotional issue for you? Well, perhaps it's because I was a true believer of the Fed, and I worried about what this meant in terms of the future, about how much more the Fed would double down, and how addicted the, the Washington and the markets would become to this extraordinary stimulus. The Fed would keep the money flowing under successive rounds of quantitative easing, injecting more than $2 trillion into the financial system. And by 2013, unemployment was continuing to fall, and the Fed saw signs that its policies were having a positive impact on the economy. Fed Chairman Bernanke signaled that the easy money might start to taper off. If we see continued improvement, and we have confidence that that is... Um, uh, 
going to be sustained, then we could, in, in the next few meetings, we could take a step down in our pace of purchases. I was on the trade floor. I remember Chairman Bernanke saying that he would taper. First, we had to figure out what does taper mean. And the minute people realized what taper meant, which is that the Fed would step back from buying all these securities, and even though the Fed said it's going to be gradual, it's going to be measured, the markets had a massive tantrum. The markets selling off after Federal Reserve Chairman Ben Bernanke said that the central bank could start tapering its economic... The markets went into a fit. Became dysfunctional. It was known as the taper tantrum. Well, we all know it. When Ben Bernanke talks to the Federal Reserve speaks, the markets listen. Taper tantrum. Markets are like little kids. They want candy, and the minute you try to take the candy away, they have a tantrum. You have big Wall Street reaction, right? You have extreme volatility where Wall Street says, whoa, whoa, no. No, no, unacceptable, and values plunge. And, of course, the Fed doesn't like that. Nobody likes that. That's a, that's a precursor to instability. Or put the Fed in a real bind. Chairman Bernanke. And Chairman Bernanke had to go in a conference in Boston and say, no, 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 we're not tapering. You can only conclude that um, highly accommodative monetary policy for the foreseeable future is what's needed in the U.S. economy. Bernanke's successor, Janet Yellen, had better luck the following year. She was able to pause quantitative easing without a tantrum, in part by promising to maintain the Fed's massive balance sheet of assets it had bought and to keep short-term interest rates low. The FOMC reaffirmed its view that the current zero to one quarter percent target range for the federal funds rate remains appropriate. Low rates spurred companies and individuals to borrow in record amounts. And the federal government took full advantage of the low interest rates as well, running the national debt up a trillion dollars a year to new highs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome. By 2018, the new Fed chair, Jerome Powell, was saying the economy was in a good place, citing historically low unemployment numbers and the fact that concerns about inflation hadn't materialized. The U.S. economy is in a good place, and we will continue to use our monetary policy tools to help keep it there. There was a growing debate about whether the Fed should raise interest rates and slow the flow of easy money. For those who are saying during that period of time, you know, you should have been concerned about other side effects of keeping rates so low, tell me what the downside of raising rates would have been. The downside is keeping Americans on the sideline who want to work. I raised these issues with Neil Kashkari, president of the Minneapolis Fed. He's been outspoken about how the Fed's policies have helped lower unemployment and improved the economy overall. The Fed has been on a mission, I've been on a mission, to put Americans back to work and help them get their wages up, especially for those lowest income Americans. And if it has had some effect on Wall Street, to me, the trade-off is well worth it if we can put Americans back to work so that they can put food on the table, they can take care of themselves. That is profoundly beneficial to society. One of the things that we have seen in this country is a widening wealth gap. The question is, what role, if any, the Fed has played in widening that wealth gap? Well, this is a great point, and I'm glad you raised it. Most people who make this argument ignore the fact that for many Americans, they don't own a house. They don't own stocks. They don't have a 401k. The most valuable asset they have is their job. So by putting people back to work and helping to boost their wages, we are actually making their most valuable asset 
more valuable. But the critics I spoke to questioned the Fed's success and pointed to other indicators. Wealth was becoming increasingly unevenly shared. In that, quote, good place, the 1% held 32% of the nation's wealth. And the majority of Americans said they were financially anxious. 40% of Americans didn't have more than a $400 rainy day fund. Most Americans were tremendously fragile, economically speaking. Karen Petru is an unlikely critic of the central bank. She spent her career as an advisor to banks and large investors, analyzing how financial policy played out in the real world. Despite the, quote, record employment, when you break those numbers down, you can see that more people had jobs, and that's great. But the wages and the growth in the economy remained very tepid and very unequal. When you speak to folks from the Fed about the idea of raising interest rates, they'll say, what was the alternative? And you say what to that? I say what you were doing wasn't working. We'll never know whether raising rates would have dampened growth. We do know that keeping rates ultra, ultra low didn't raise growth. They raised markets. Petru and other critics were concerned that the Fed's low rates and easy money policies were fueling troubling trends on Wall Street and in corporate America. One in particular was the amount of corporate borrowing. Valuations are generally elevated, especially corporate debt. We have flagged the rise in corporate debt. We have entirely too much corporate debt out there. And Taking advantage of low interest rates, corporations were selling bonds to big investors. I saw numerous studies and reports detailing the extent of the debt and how even marquee companies were so leveraged their credit ratings plummeted. The Fed had hoped that companies would put all that borrowed money to good use and invest in their workforce and their infrastructure. But in reality, it was playing out differently. Buybacks. Buyback stock. Stock buyback. Stock buyback. Companies were often borrowing money to buy back their own stock, making the remaining shares more valuable and the prices higher. As a corporation, you realize all that matters is the stock price. So what do we have to do to increase the stock price? And more often that is buying back the stock. Financial reporter Dion Rabowen covered the growing trend. So it used to be the Fed would lower interest rates. Um, businesses would then take on more debt. They would use that debt to hire more workers, build more machines and more factories. Now what happens is the Federal Reserve lowers interest rates. Businesses use that to go out and borrow more money, but they use that money to buy back stock and invest in technology that will eliminate workers and reduce employee headcounts. Uh, they use that money to give the CEO and other corporate officers big bonuses and then eventually issue more debt and buy back more stock. So it's this endless cycle of things that are designed to increase the stock price rather than improve the actual company. Okay, GE just authorized a $50 billion stock buyback. The numbers were astounding. More than $6 trillion in corporate buybacks in the decade after the financial crisis. Warren Buffett likes Apple's buybacks. Well, why wouldn't he? He's a shareholder yeah, and you're buying back $100 billion dollars of stock. Buybacks used to, it's just another example of things that used to be viewed as kind of, you know, just going mainstream. Sheila Baer, a former top banking regulator, 
was issuing public warnings at the time that the Fed was incentivizing bad behavior on Wall Street, despite its best intentions. Yeah, I can't fault the company so much because these interest rate, this interest rate environment creates very strong economic incentives to do exactly what they're doing. It's hard to create a new product. It's hard to come up with a new idea for a service. It's hard to build a plant and hire people and run the organization. It's real easy to issue some debt and pay it out to your shareholders to goose your share price. That's real easy to do. But it doesn't create real wealth. It doesn't create real opportunity. It doesn't create jobs. It doesn't improve the labor market. Half a trillion dollars to securities dealers, half a trillion dollars to foreign central banks, bought $2 trillion of treasury securities, another trillion dollars of mortgage-backed securities. It flooded the zone with new government cash to stabilize this system. But it wasn't enough to stop the panic. Uh, the emergency rate cut failed to calm investors. In fact, it did the opposite. Future the corporate debt market had frozen up, and companies were unable to finance themselves putting the wider financial system at risk. There's just this corporate debt picture out there, and we're just beginning to see how those dominoes are going to fall. So on March 23rd, the Fed took its economic experimentation to a whole new level. With Congress's backing, Fed Chair Powell announced a range of new loan programs. He said the Fed, for the first time, would be willing to buy up corporate debt. We often talk about the Federal Reserve using a bazooka to tackle markets and the economy. This is bazooka, cannons and tanks all at once. So this was huge. This was the Fed stepping in on an unprecedented scale and saying to the market, we will do whatever it takes. The motion is adopted. By the end of March, Congress would also act, passing the largest economic stimulus bill ever, the $2.2 trillion CARES Act. The bill rushed to the president after clearing the House in a voice vote. It provided support for individuals and small businesses. But I wanted that to be a nice A big portion of the bill, nearly half a trillion dollars, was earmarked to support the Fed's lending programs. I don't think most people are aware that we came this close to a bona fide financial crisis. Yeah, I think a lot of it is missed for two reasons. One, there was a lot of other stuff going on in the news at the time. The other is the Federal Reserve did an amazingly good job at putting out the flames of this panic. And even though the panic in March 2020 was more severe along many metrics than anything we saw in 2008, the government's response was more powerful in certain respects. And we're lucky that, that the government was successful or we could be living through a true uh, depression. And there's the opening bell. Looks like markets are set to rally. But in trying to keep workers employed and companies afloat, the Fed had also used its power to rescue some of the riskiest parts of the financial system, like the junk bond market. And is this just like a high-yield junk bond bailout? I mean, I don't get yeah. We've got to live with Why it now, Tom. We've got to live with it. To the critics, the Fed was sending the wrong message, rewarding the wrong people. Over the years, we've been trained to believe that the Fed is on our side. What the Fed has trained us to believe is that if we make a bet in the market and we win, we're on our own. We get to keep the profits. If we lose, 
They will bend every effort and every dollar they can get their hands on, one way or another, uh, to bail us out. This is asymmetry of the most splendid kind. AP, go ahead and clap it off, please. Billionaire bond investor Howard Marks called the Fed out at the time, saying it was undercutting the way the free market is supposed to work. There are negative ramifications to this, one called moral hazard, uh, which means uh, uh, conditioning uh, people to believe that if there's a problem, the government will bail you out. And if people really believe that, then there's no downside to risky behavior, because if there's a problem, it won't fall on you. You'll get bailed out. If you, if you play it aggressively and, and succeed, you make money. If you play it aggressively and fail, you'll get bailed out. So has moral hazard gotten worse as a result of, of this bailout? There's no barometer of moral hazard, uh, so I can't give you a reading. All I can say is that for the last year or so, uh, risk-taking has been rewarded, and that tends to bring on more risk-taking. Do you see moral hazard in what has just happened? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I think uh, now, you know, the entire business community has, has had a taste of bailouts, you know, and, and boy, it, it doesn't work uh, really, really nicely. Uh, yeah, so I, I fear that now the Fed stepping in, not just to bail out Wall Street, but the entire, you know, corporate America is, is starting to be embedded into people's thinking. You know, people talk about the survival of capitalism, but this is the biggest threat to capitalism. In good times, when anybody can make money, you reap those profits. In bad times, the Fed, uh, the Fed just keeps stepping in. You have this never-ending ratchet up. The market's never correct. It's like a no-lose casino. It is. It is casino. It's exactly right. This is the second time in 12 years that you and your institution have had to funnel into the financial system trillions of dollars. And there is this sense that the financial markets has an ironclad backstop from the Fed. Well, I completely agree that it is unacceptable that 12 years after 2008, we had to do this again. I, I am proud that we did what we did. It was the right thing to do. It was necessary. But it is unacceptable as an American citizen that we have a financial system that is this risky and this vulnerable. But what is any responsibility or accountability does the Fed have for the financial system having been so risky and so vulnerable to a shock? Well, I think all financial regulators that have a, have a seat at the table have, a, have responsibility for what was left incomplete after 2008 and where we go from here. We need to use this crisis to finish the work that we did not finish after 2008. With, with all due respect, I, I wonder if you could be a little bit more explicit with me. What will the Fed own when it comes to the vulnerability of the system? Well, I reject the thesis. I actually don't think it's been the Fed's monetary policy that has led to these vulnerabilities. I think it's been incomplete regulatory policy that has led to these vulnerabilities. That's an idea Kashkari expressed repeatedly to me, that there are other actors responsible and larger economic forces at play beyond the Fed's decisions. The shadow of the pandemic is going to be extremely long. People who lost with unemployment still high. The Fed and Congress have continued to pump money into the economy. Trillions to struggling individuals and small businesses. And once again, quantitative easing to keep interest rates low and the cost of borrowing down. Last March, the Fed announced that they've just decided it's 
going to be the right thing to do to drive 100 miles an hour. Okay, your judgment call. A year later, they're still driving 100 miles an hour. And you ask them, why exactly are you driving 100 miles an hour now? Say, well, you know, it's a good idea last March, and we don't want to change things too quickly, and so, yeah, we just think it's a really good idea. Peter Fisher spent years at the New York Federal Reserve and at BlackRock, the largest asset management firm in the world. It's pretty basic in, in medicine that our doctor may give us a drug, which in a small, punch, punchy dose for a brief period of time might help us recover from whatever ails us. But that the same medicine, the same drug, taken in massive doses over long periods of time might kill us or make us ill or have perverse side effects. Corporate America has taken more debt and investors are gobbling it up. The housing market and the millions of people who own some stocks and bonds are seeing a boom. Elon Musk has added over $10 billion to his wealth just this week. Six and for the richest Americans, it's been a bonanza. Just the billionaires in the United States, from March 2020 to February 2021, have grown their wealth by $1.3 trillion. $1.3 trillion. And billionaires now hold two-thirds more in wealth than the bottom half of the U.S. population. The thing about wealth is what creates wealth is wealth. When you have $100 million to invest, it's much more easy to become a billionaire than when you have $100 to invest. You ever think about trading stocks? But that hasn't stopped many $100 investors from trying to get a piece of junk. People like us can trade just like the big guys with Robinhood. All these brokerage platforms saw the largest growth of new users they'd ever seen because people said, now's my opportunity. I'm going to invest my money in the stock market. I may not understand what the Fed's doing or how it works or what exactly is going on. The Dow rising nearly 18% is its best performance since 1987. But I understand the Fed takes action, stock prices go up, these people get rich. And it became a very clear mandate for people. If I want to get in on this economic recovery we're having, I've got to buy stocks. I'm going to take my stimulus check and I'm going to put it in the stock market. So they're online, they're trading stocks, they're buying and selling and putting money into these stock accounts. They started creating their own community. Welcome, Declan, Michael, Lee, uh, so many people, Bob Smith. Jerome Powell has become a kind of cult figure, master of the money printer. Money printer, go for these four tickers, I'll put them right above. Billions have been piling into so-called meme stocks. In this GameStop situation, we will never encounter a setup like this again. New financial assets like NFTs, non-fungible tokens. From art to music to sports, it's a new phenomenon that is moving quickly and with big numbers. And cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin has been on a wild ride during the past few months. It's the it doesn't really matter if something is a good buy or if it's fundamentally sound. The money is crazy and awesome, and I think it's... There's been so much money injected into the economy that people just need things to buy. I mean, what you're describing is mania. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could call it mania. I mean, certainly we are in a mania because, again, the Fed has put a floor underneath asset prices. There's only one direction that things can go, and that's up. 
Otherwise, the Fed will step in and act. So things can only go up. Why wouldn't you just buy? When I look out at what's been going on the last six months, I see financial mania. I don't know what the right value of some companies is, but when they change by 50% in six months, I think we should all recognize, boy, that's hard to estimate the value of that. If it's 50% higher now than it was six months ago, I guess we were pretty bad on estimating its value six months ago. I assume you're somebody who has assets, who's invested, um, and that this has been a good period for someone like you, in part because you own assets. The Fed having pumped asset prices to historically high levels doesn't make me feel comfortable. I'll be... I feel as anxious today as I've ever felt about the financial world because of my belief that the Fed has been pumping up asset prices in a way that is creating a bit of an illusion. I think the odds are now sort of one in three, very high, that we will look at this as an epic mistake and one of the great financial calamities of all time. They have the housing market, the stock market, and the bond market all overpriced at the same time. And they will not be able to prevent, sooner or later, the asset prices coming back down. So we are playing with fire because we have the three great asset classes moving into bubble territory simultaneously. There is a growing conversation right now about the Fed's role, um, about whether it's driving wealth inequality, whether it's driving asset prices into dangerous territory that could pop right in, in our faces, and whether the, whether the financial system can withstand that. I mean, there are these le seemingly legitimate questions about being in what seems to be uncharted territory. These questions come from people who are keen Wall Street observers or Wall Street. I never have once heard this line of questioning from a member of Congress that represents a low-income or minority district, never once. They come to us and they say, why can't you do more? They never say, oh my gosh, you're just benefiting Wall Street. You know, raise interest rates because I want to keep Wall Street in check. They say, help my constituents find work. So that's why, I mean, I find these questions amusing because I hear them all the time from Wall Street. And these are folks who don't care about what's actually happening on Main Street. I don't hear it from Main Street. I certainly don't hear it from low-income communities. And I've heard all of these questions before. The price of virtually everything seems to be going up. From used cars, to plane tickets, to furniture. If you go to get in your car and drive to work, your gas costs more. There are now signs of inflation percolating through the economy. Annual inflation is expected to top 3.5% in the fourth quarter. So now there's speculation the Fed may speed up its interest rate plans. The Fed insists it's temporary, but has signaled it may taper quantitative easing and raise interest rates as early as 2023. Fed Chair Jerome Powell said while the economy has rebounded, the job market is still hurting. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell announced that tweaks to monetary policy may still be needed. It is an awfully daunting task. I pray for Jay Powell, and I pray for the committee. Doing this successfully will be a heck of a hat trick. I would imagine people at the Fed are scratching their heads about how they are going to be able to get that faucet 
calibrated to a lower level when necessary. And the risk of them turning off the valve right now is what? The risk of turning the valve off is, is economic collapse, right? You would, ha you would see asset values actually drop through the floor, you know, in a complete lack of confidence. The Fed, by the way, would not, I can't imagine, turn it off in one, you know, sort of in one move. Uh, but when the Fed does move, it's going to want to do it probably quite gradually. And the question is, will they be able to do it in such a way that doesn't create this kind of massive economic dislocation? Whatever the Fed does next, the consequences will affect us all. All right, Joseph Gibson podcasting here, understanding the times, which we today. All right, uh, for me, mostly you probably don't understand exactly with that documentary. You don't get it. I, I got messages there during it and a couple uh, criticized But I gave you the answer there, basically, you know, is, is, is how you were able to make money during the, the past uh, pandemic years and to tell you basically what's going to happen in the future. They own everything, and we've outlined it already on this podcast. When they pull the reset, when they do the reset – and you see that gallon of milk go to $10 or $15, but the store don't take your dollars anymore. You, and, you know, these are all the, the intricates of, of how this screwed-up money-changer system has worked. And this has been a long-term plan of escalation, uh, inflation, deflation, for a long time since it took over our money in 1913. It was a 100-year plan. Look up the archives when they created the Federal Reserve. The creature from Jekyll Island is a good one to go. It was 1913. It was actually 1912, 1911 when they were <clears throat> meeting to create it. Excuse me, 1910. And uh, every, all the, the leaders of the world, which were only a couple, the Astors, whatnot. I think we talked about this the other night. Who was on the Titanic and whatnot. They sunk that thing. But most of those people on board that ship, they, they were against the creation of a central bank in America. And well, anyway, that's a whole other conspiracy theory. But... The thing of it is, is that after they bankrupted the uh, the the honest traders in 1929, and then that idiot Roosevelt came into play, and then crowned their success, the, their new world order. That's why I put the pyramid there on your dollar bill in 1933, and then they created all these silly policies, and they went from public law to public policy. That's why you always hear people say it's our policy. There's no more public law, and it's been. And then you know they've gradually, and then they led us into World War II, and then the Korean War, and the Vietnam War, and the Gulf War. And all this has been a, a, a plan. It was a 100-year plan, basically. What I'm trying to do, tell you, it was a 100-year plan, and we're almost to that 100-year mark uh, now. Okay, so uh, for their uh, uh, collapse and their and, and this pandemic is perfect, perfect. This coronavirus is going to be so perfect. Uh, all the money they dumped in, all the idiots out there dancing on TikTok, you know, they're really going to, they're, you know, let's rely on the public sector now. We're, how are we going to rely on the public uh, or, the, or the small business owners out there that are depleted and, and have, were closed down during the pandemic or broke and, and all the people out there who want to stay home, but all of a sudden now their unemployment benefits are going away. Panic is starting to set in, you know, and really are there real jobs out there for you to get? Is there really good jobs out there for you? I know nobody wants to work anymore. I know that for a fact. But are there good jobs out there, good paying jobs for you? I mean, are we really making and producing anything? We, you know, really, when you look at it realistically, you know, and, and you have China, our enemy there, 
that's uh, ready for the attack, and that's how they're going to destroy us within the economy. Social issues from within our own our own our own uh, uh, politics, our own political science, our own political philosophy, with because uh, everybody's a racist now, and the patriot community out there deemed uh, terrorists by uh, Joe Biden. Um, you know, so there's no backbone anymore to fall back on, and basically we're all vulnerable. So if you didn't prepare yourself and you're not ready, or if you're not trying to uh, at least try to save yourself now, you're going to be at the hands of this global new world order. And there is a global governance order coming. And uh, when they lock everything down again, you're going to be in big trouble. Now, you know, where does this we I asked this question last night to people. You know, I tried to put posts in out there. Nobody wanted to take the challenge, but. You know, how does this play out with, I, I think I asked a pastor today about this, you know, God, I, you know, where's the re, uh, the uh, religious people stand out there, the, well, I don't like to call them religion, but the uh, the religious leaders, the, uh, well, how does this play out with God, you know, how does this play out with the politicians, we know the Democrats, what, what's going to happen is this, they're going to uh, lock us down, this is where they could do their fake uh, mail-in ballots and the Democrats could take total control over everything and eliminate the uh, the conservatives that everybody's angry at for not fighting hard enough. And, uh, you know, and that balance is going to be gone, that shift, and we're going to have uh, dominant control uh, with these psychopath Democrats that just don't see anything whatsoever of common sense. So the phone number is 657-383-0616. I'm going to check and see if uh, Mr. Joe there from Connecticut, there he tried to tune in here tonight. I did send him a message there. He said he was going to tune in with me. Uh, we'll see. Let me check the phone board over here and check this. Um, press number one if you want to tune in here tonight. And, uh, hey, if you don't uh, want to chip in, that's fine. Uh, like I said, you know, this is uh, a show for you guys to understand how money works. And, uh, you know, I'm not talking about homosexuality. I'm not talking about getting a dick up the rear end. I'm not talking about dancing. I'm not talking about uh, uh, some stupid drive-by shooting that happened in Chicago. So I know a lot of people don't understand where, where I'm coming from here when I'm talking about issues like this. You know, they don't get it because dete- you, you don't understand monetary policy. You don't get how things work. You don't understand it. And, and that's fine. You just go in and cash your check at the bank. Eh. Here's Roger. And then you listen to your grandmother next to you. Oh, hi, Brad. He holds my money for me. Yeah. You know, the criminal at the bank. He, the bank gave me a mortgage. Yeah. You know, you know, and, you know that, that's a good bank to go to. I like Bank of America. They take good care of me. Yeah, I like Wells Fargo. Yeah. You know, or what, Wachovia. Which one are they now? Wells Fargo or Wachovia? I don't know. I forget. Why did they change their name from Wachovia to Wells Fargo? Hmm. I don't know. Oh, that's right. They... They stole my money and created a bunch of fake accounts in other people's names. Oh yeah. Oh well. Wow. Well, they're good people. They're good people. You know. Uh, you know. You see, uh, people don't know. You're lemmings. You're all a bunch of lemmings over the cliff. You don't get it. You don't understand. Too busy pointing your finger at each other. Yeah, my neighbor there. His grass is higher than mine. Your, your kid kicked the ball over in my yard. Kill him. You know. Yeah. And the courts, you guys don't understand how the courts work. or You know, you guys don't get it. You don't understand it. You don't get it. You don't understand nothing. That's the problem. You're lost. You're just lost. I just, you know, I just don't understand. I see the messages that I get. You just don't get it. You're too busy wanting to fight with each other over nothing, nothing. 
the issues that you're fighting with each other over just don't represent nothing of any importance whatsoever that will affect uh, uh, everyday life here in our country. What happened to God, country, and guns? What happened to God, country, and, you know, whatever happened? What, hap- what happened to our, us as Americans? What happened to the greatest, I mean, uh, I mean, we'll have those people from the World War II era that were around that, that understood. I remember my great-grandmother, she understood how to save money. I mean, you know, she, I mean, you can give her 100 bucks, she wouldn't, she'd have it 10 years later, that $100 bill. If you give a $100 bill to a 16-year-old, it's gone, in five, it's gone before he even put, you put it in his hand. You know, so come on. They don't understand nothing. You get, I mean, you just don't get it. We're too busy trying to be entertained. You know, we want a football game. Hey, let's talk about basketball. Hey, let's do a show on basketball. There you go. I bet everybody could talk about that. Everybody knows all the stats. They know the numbers. They know how many three-pointers this guy hit. They know all everything. But you start talking about the Federal Reserve. You know, they don't, they don't, nobody knows nothing. You know, and I don't. I'm not talking about you know having a uh, uh, economic conversation here where we're going. You know, where people don't really get it or understand it. We have to go to that level. Well, let's just talk common sense here. Have a conversation of 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 uh, genuine importance, and that's really what uh, this show is all really all about. But people don't get it. They don't get it. Let me take the first caller here. Go ahead, two o three. Maybe somebody here with common sense. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, I don't know about common sense, but. <laughs> You know, all you got all you got to do is, is is read and figure out what's going on. And uh, the recordings you just played, they're absolutely the truth. And as you, as as you said, uh, people don't know what's going on and they don't care. And and, and the, the end result is going to be what you said because they're all in la la land. Uh, you you mentioned here's an easy one for everybody. You mentioned uh, you know people go to the bank to get a mortgage. Well, banks don't give out mortgages. No bank gives out a mortgage. And it, and if and if you think I'm telling you a bunch of BS there, just look it up. Why tell you the answer? Because you don't care anyway. So I'm not going to. I just thought I'd chime in here and. Let you know that those recordings you are. You mentioned that one uh, other time too, when we were talking about the uh, coronavirus shot or whatever. You mentioned that one other time too. Why tell these people how to cure themselves? Why tell them how to be healthy? Why? Because they don't. They're, they're not going to listen anyway. They're not going to listen. You can't rally the troops. The, the, they're coming down from the hills. Nobody's coming to save you, and nobody really cares about their own individual selves anyway. They just want pleasure. Like I play in my intros for years now. Dumb down, morally bankrupt. Uh, society, you know, they'll they'll fight over a whopper at Burger King. They'll kill each other over it. But but to stand up for something of of, of righteousness or value that that of of greatness or to have make a name for yourself of importance, nobody you can't get ten people to meet you at Burger King for a cup of coffee, even if you paid for it. You know, they will they will kill themselves over a whopper at Burger King, and they will meet you at Burger King for a cup of coffee. And the reason behind that is is because most of them don't know how to cook a hamburger or make a cup of coffee <laughs> or, or how to grind the beans to actually make the coffee. Look, you got 53% of everybody out there, just as you said, who don't care. You could tell them what's going to happen. You could show them the facts. They won't listen to you, and they don't care because they believe what Pelosi says. 
and that's the end of the story, and they'll interrupt you on every sentence because they don't even want to hear it. So there's no sense talking to them. That's why I'm not going to tell you about the banks because it, it, it's not worth the effort anymore because 53% of the people out there could care less. I think it's only a portion of, of the 47% that will actually listen. Yeah. Well, i got another caller here on the line. Uh, I'll bring him on here. Uh, I think I recognize a number, so it might be somebody here of intelligence. So uh, uh, go ahead, 863. Good evening, Joe. Hey, I kind of recognize the number. I kind of figured. <laughs> was, that, was that the good doctor, Peter Ventura, on there? No, no, no. That's somebody else. That's not. That wasn't Peter. But Peter was on here a couple uh, about. I think about two or three nights ago. He was had a big debate with Pianchi actually about religion and whatnot. They had a big discussion uh, about it. It was pretty good actually. But they went back and forth for about an hour actually. It was pretty good. <laughs> okay. I, well, no, I listened to the first. I don't know, forty-five minutes or so of the podcast, a long commercial, and um, I don't know if anybody happened to catch this, but did you catch any of the last names that were in that commercial when you were talking about Federal Reserve and the problems and the money? Oh yeah, most of them are Jewish. Cohen. You know, that, that was yep. one there, huh? you, it yeah. said It said William Cohen. I heard yep. Marx. Um, that's directly in sync with the Rothschilds, Jacob Rothschild, yep. who's worth billions of dollars, trillions. Um, I turned on Newsmax this morning, and lo and behold, who do I see? Emma Reckenberg, who's an anchor, and an extremely ugly woman named Nancy Brinkler. Now, all this stuff they're supposed to tell us, the good doctor says, you know, when he is on the podcast, that this is all, we're just delusional. But everywhere where yeah. I see problems, I see coming the last, the same last names keep popping up. It's incredible. What a coincidence, right? Yeah, I, I, I agree with you 100%. Uh, you know, and the thing of it is, is that the Christian out there won't entertain your questions or your facts. They'll shut you down, they'll become angry, and they'll run away. Right? <laughs> I say give them more. They seem to like it. <laughs> I say these guys are doing a good job. Keep on doing it to them because they're obviously stupid and they've got no survival instincts. If they want to ignore yep. reality that harshly and that abruptly and they don't want to face it, give, give them more. Like I said, yeah. there was just a freaking woman on the news that was, uh, up in Indiana. She got chopped up into pieces. Did you guys catch that? Up in Indiana? Oh, wow. I didn't see that, chopped, actually. <laughs> chopped up into pieces by one of the brothers up there. Cut her toes off, cut her fingers off. She was nice Why? enough. She was a retired woman. Uh, I guess because she was white. That's the only thing I could come up with. And wow. uh, she was nice enough. You know, she didn't want to be labeled a racist, so she said, yeah, come on in my house. And he was acting like he was just some good, straightforward black guy that was looking for, uh, you know, do some, I think it, the, the term they used was um, uh, not good Samaritan work, but, uh, uh, lo, you know, local work, just volunteer work. And she said, oh, yeah, come on inside. Well, yeah, she came in, he came inside all right and tossed her fucking salad is what he did. Chopped her up wow. in pieces, destroyed and mutilated her. Yeah, made the news up in Indiana. This is just this past week out there. So there wasn't That's much crazy. about that in the mainstream. I know. Yeah, they, you don't hear about that. You just don't hear about that. You said it was uh, – what, what state was that in? Because I'm trying to look it up right now. I want to read that story Indiana. for the people that are right right here. Wife cut, wife cut up into pieces and, uh, with angle grinder. I got that one. Boy, everybody's cutting up. There's a lot of them here. <laughs> wow. No, it was look. in Indiana. Indiana. All right, I'll put put that in there. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's insane. So she she was just trying to be a good Samaritan, probably one of those people out there that say, you know, you know, well, probably you know, one of those people that 
say, you know, well, you know, the black people have been no. gotten a hard shake, and I want to be a good white Samaritan <laughs> and help out the black man or whatever. And she got it. She got it, didn't she? <laughs> oh yeah, she got it right. And and you yeah, know, uh, I don't feel sorry. But, yeah, I, I really don't feel sorry. I'm I'm not sorry for stupid people. If you're that yeah. stupid, and you're that blind, you're deaf, dumb, idiot. Then go ahead, dish out some more. It's the best lesson. What do you to say to the people out there? What do you say out there to the people that are living in the cities, that are surrounded, that actually have interwoven relationships with these, uh, with with people that are gang members or whatnot? And I'm not saying all blacks are bad. I'm, just, you know, I'm I'm saying a lot of black people are fleeing the city and trying to live out here with us in, in the country because they know that they're in trouble. But I'm just trying to say that. What do you say to those? Those, those, I call them wiggers, wiggers. You know, uh, you know that, that, you know, you know, they want to wear the hair up in the bun and want to act, and they, and they want to be a part of their group and the clique and the gang and the three fingers up in the air with the pictures and everything. And you know, what do you say to those people out there? Mm. Well, I, I how do you think save them? Are they worth saving, that... though? You know, are they worth saving? You think? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not anything I would ever put any effort into, regardless. I mean, you can't make a silk shirt out of a sow's ear. These people, I mean, I, I, I could I could sit there and try to explain it to them until I'm blue in the face. I could put hardcore facts on the table. And most of these people, just like what I was just describing a few minutes ago, I'm sure the good doctor would disagree with me. And uh, it doesn't matter how many facts I put on the table. They'll just shrug it off. Yeah, isolated. Hey, Bert. No big deal. Yeah. Hey, Bert. You say give them more. And, and, I, and I agree with you. Give them more. This is BitBanker in Meriden, Connecticut. And I agree with I that. Do. Uh, but but let me ask you this. Like like I mentioned when I was speaking before, there's 53% of the population out there that you cannot talk to. You tell them the facts, and they will just argue with you and cut you off and go on their merry way. They seem to have three different personalities. The one that talks normally to you, the second one that, that gets violent and upset, and when you say something that really irks them, they become violent and vulgar and run away. How do you tell these people more? I wouldn't even waste your time with them. Why even bother? You there can you eat a go. Horse of water, there but you, you can't go. Make a drink. There you go. It is. You yeah, know, when you guys but, were yeah. were roundabout, you were hitting on it when you said, you know, these people you can you can sit there and tell them, but they don't want to hear it. Just like you guys were saying, you know, they mean the Burger King. Nobody knows how to make a hamburger. They're stupid. Yeah. So, I mean, you should, I'll, t- I'll tell you one thing. I'll, let me give you a good quote. Never argue with stupid people. All they'll do is drag you down to their level and beat you with experience. Yeah, Forrest Gump yeah. said that. You can't cure stupid. Yeah, stupid is a stupid, <laughs> stupid does. Stupid does. <laughs> I yeah. said at the same time. You know, and the thing of it is, though, is that there's things out there that people can do, though, to rally together, to come together and meet like-minded people. But then you've got the other side, uh, Bert, that just won't even do that. They won't come together. They always got an excuse. You know, well, I don't, you know, I don't want to partake in that. I don't want to be a part of that group. I don't want to. I'll just rather sit back and let them fight the fight for me. You know what I mean? The, 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 well, the people that just let other people. Yeah, they're either stupid or they're cowardly or both. Give them some more. Yeah, give them some more. Yeah, because they, they're going to get what they're going to get, you know. But but why should they reap the benefits though of the sacrifice of what other what the good people are doing? See, I come to that that a lot, you know, where I'm like, why bother, you know? Because or 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 it's not that why bother. I know what I have to do. I know what I have to do to survive. I know the enemy, you know. But you know what? 
I, why am I going to try to save some of these people? Why, why not I just stay away from them? I know what I got to do. I got my crew here. I know what I could do here. You know, I mean, why take a chance at trying to wake people up or alerting people to the message? I think that kind of, you well, know you what can, I mean? I'm not you can revert to the, gut, the Bible. But... Yeah, you can revert to the Bible. And, you know, still, I'm one of the last people on earth to do something like that, Joe, even as a, a devout Christian. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I'll say it. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Nowhere in the Bible does a God say that he will save us. It says we must save ourselves from evil. So why should that rule be any different for us? Who are, who are we to go a step above the, all, the Almighty? We're nobody. Yeah, yeah. Let these people reap what got, they sow. Yeah. Yeah, they reap, yeah, you reap what you sow. You have, yeah, that's true. Because you got the ones out there, and, and I think you brought up uh, the good doctor there. I've had that discussion with him, and I'm not going to criticize him. Uh, I've known him for a long time, but I'm just going to say that, that it's always – well, things are going to end okay, so don't worry about it. Who cares? You know, we're, we'll just we'll just keep as long as life's good for me. Why do I care about? You know, I mean, as long, you know, we can't change it. We yeah. can't change the system. Why fight? You know. Yeah, I'm good. Why's everybody else bitching? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I got uh, three one four. He well, wants you, to. Come. I think I recognize I, that I, number two. He wants to jump in here. Yeah, go ahead, three one four. Oh yeah, go ahead, Bert. I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. That's okay. I was just going to say, you know, when, when I first questioned Dr. Peter Ventura's education, he told me he had a Ph.D. I was like, wow, I mean, surely people got to be smarter than this, especially I don't have a Ph.D. I've never been to college. But then I heard Bill Cosby had a Ph.D. too, so and I was like, okay, well, that, that takes a little bit of credence away <laughs> well, actually, from the he has PhD. two PhDs. Actually, he has two PhDs now. I mean, he is, a, he is a very knowledgeable individual. It's just that he's set in, you know, what he believes. And him and the, uh, the other caller that night did go back and forth. It was a very interesting conversation. I can't get him back on here to address some of the questions, though. I, I don't like that because he kind of left it open-ended where people were like, hey, you know, I got a question, I, you know, and he dodges that. And I don't like that because, you know, you should answer people's questions about things, you know, because some, some people care and they want answers. People want to seek the truth, you know. So that, that, that's all on that uh, one. But, that, uh, that old quote from the 1930s, those who want to live, let them fight. Those who do not want to fight do not deserve to live. Adolf Hitler, 1934. There you go. Uh, 314, you're on. Go ahead. I think I recognize the number maybe. 314, go ahead. Well, here's the thing. What you sh- should be done or should be practiced is to isolate those people that won't listen as you want to describe them. Set up a line. Go where you're going. Set up a line. Isolate them. Sooner or later, they'll kill each other off. And that's what you see going on in some of these cities. Like, shock. Police don't answer those calls. They take their time. And I can't blame them. And you just isolate them. You know he's yeah, trying to reason. How do you go about doing that? How do you go about doing that though? Because you're going to be labeled the, you know, what that that you're a racist. You're a racist. Well, that's the thing. You there. know, you need to be See, fired. Whites have been paralyzed with this word racism. I tell you, it's it's like a joke. I mean, it's like fun. If you see a white walking down the street and you holler racist, they stop because they've been conditioned to respond that way when they're called a racist, especially by a black person. Now, if you want the pool one off, call them a racist. You're breaking up there, buddy. You're breaking up You're breaking up a little bit there on me. But you're absolutely right, though, about your point, because they had BLM up here on Pisgah Church Road in Greensboro, and it said, honk 
if you uh, want to stop racist whites or, or at one of those signs or something. Everybody's honking. All the white people are honking. Ah, ah, yeah, I'm racist. Ah, and, you know, it's like, yeah, reverse psychology, you know. <laughs> well, see, you it's got to be better. It's got to be more than psychology. We're talking about some serious stuff here. And, you know, like I've told you before, I wish I, I didn't have to say this. But I'm depending on whites to get the hell up and take this country back. Blacks ain't going to do it. They don't have the ability to. There's a few of us, but not enough. And I haven't seen so many dumb whites in all my life. I knew there was a lot of others because of the education system that they come from. But I never have seen what I've seen in the last couple of years. And I call that just plain stupidity and dumbness. I've seen whites kissing the boots of blacks. What kind of dumb stuff is that? Burke, have you ever seen anything like that before? Burke? I think, I don't know if he's still there or not. Uh, Burke, he had a question for you. I, I'm pretty sure he has. Yeah, I'm here. Okay. I've seen yeah. it on TV. I've never place. seen it in person. What is the logic behind it? What's wrong with the minds of these people? They're spineless, dickless cowards. <laughs> That's the only way but, I can uh, yeah. describe it. Yeah. I mean, if, if if I was to have be confronted with something like that, let me assure you the situation would turn out extremely different. You know, I've asked blacks about these shots. I said, uh, who in the heck is recommending these shots? Well, the CDC. I say, isn't it the same CDC agency that was involved in the Tuskegee experiment that blacks claim with, blacks was injected with syphilis? And they get quiet. They get quiet. Well, I say, well, why are I you taking advice of this? Uh, you know, I, what's up with the masks? I played this last night. Everybody's starting to wear masks again. Everybody's paying attention. I'd want to call the local media, actually. I want to get on this story where, where you know, what's going on here, where, this mask thing? I thought it was proven that the thing didn't, the things didn't work anyway. You know, I mean, what what's going on here? I think I might have Sarge, I think, wanting to get in here. So I'll unmute him. But let me unmute him and bring him on. Uh, go ahead. Is that you, Sarge? No? Private what? caller, you're unmuted. Is that that's the private caller? No. Oh. Okay. I guess. I guess. I guess. You see, that's the dumbness and dumbed down of of the people that follow the show. I think I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not Sarge. Uh, I don't know. I see him in the chat room, but uh, you know, I, don't know. I got another private caller here. Let's see what this one is. Go ahead, there. Another troll, maybe. Go ahead, private caller. Uh, hello, You're Joe. Unmuted. How you doing? Hello, yes, Joe. How ahead. you doing? Doing yeah, all right. I'd like to know. Good. I'd like to ask uh, Commander Burt a question. Yeah, if he's still there, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yep, now, uh, hey, how you doing? Go ahead. Uh, I'd like to know. Uh, so, if you're a European, you can be part of the NSM, right? And if you're white European. Oh, white European. How about uh, if I'm a Spanish European? Well, it depends. Is that Spanish from Spain or is that Spanish what everybody calls Spanish in the United States from south of the border? No, no, no. Spanish from Spain. Well, Spanish from Spain is acceptable. Okay. 
Now, uh, no, but it's just white. No, no uh, black Europeans. No uh, yellow Europeans. No brown Europeans. No. Just white Europeans. I, see. I would think Correct. that's pretty okay, self-explanatory. So I would qualify, then, because I'm Spanish from Spain. Well, if you're a Spaniard, yeah, definitely. Oh. And as long as you're oh, white, definitely. obviously. Okay. Because that's yes. like saying everybody in America is white, too, because <laughs> they're, they're uh, European-Americans, and we all know that's not true. But the real question okay. is, caller, callers, is that this, is that, you know, look, I just did a whole documentary on our money, on the money that you spend every single day. And nobody can comment or, 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 or call, call in here and be angry or upset that these, these – uh, and Bert pointed out, actually, said, what were the names there, at the, some of those people, you know, that are controlling this? And he pointed out a very, you know, key as- aspect of this. But nobody's angry, Bert. Nobody's angry at that. No, they just, you know, uh, yeah, you know, they're chosen. You know, we can't say nothing about that. You know, or we, the money we can't – you know, the money changes. Give them yeah. some more. Yeah, the fact – <laughs> the Federal Reserve. The problem is they're going to crash yeah, the economy, to... and nobody's going to have anything to fight back with. You know, I mean, how long can people hold out for? I mean, you know, if you're a 40 year old man and you and you're taking precautions and preparations, I mean, you know, how long? I mean, eventually there has to be a light at the end. There has to be a victory parade. There has to be a victory march. Bianca said, "I'm waiting for the white people to rise up." Okay, the white people rise up. What's the end goal here after they rise up? No, it's not. You know, what, not what are we trying to accomplish? No, it's not going to happen. We haven't hit rock bottom yet. We're not even close to hitting rock bottom. It's going to have to get substantially worse. I mean, as long as, you know, gentlemen like the good doctor and, you know, not just picking on him, but I am kind of picking on him, you know, and people <laughs> like him that go out there and say the things that they say, as long as they continue with that mindset. Uh, like I said, the first step in any basic rehabilitation program is to admitting that you have a problem. Well, we can't even do that. So until we do that, we got no, we don't even have a starting point. So, yeah. So, this is like so, having all, all the signs of cancer and completely ignoring them, and then they wonder why you're six feet under. Yeah, yeah. Well, so basically, Bert, you, you're saying about the doctor is that I, I've been trying to get him on. Uh, so basically, uh, what what is it that really you uh, disagree? I mean, I'm not playing. I'm not take, choosing sides here. I'm just saying, what what is it that you really have a problem with what he preaches about? I think you heard him on here the other night, and I think something irritated you. <laughs> but what what really? No, does? no. I, I actually, mean, I I missed him the other night. I didn't catch the show by chance. I just got oh, your okay. text tonight, so. Uh, I'm sure if it, 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 the good doctor, I mean, in the past, though, has a history of, of preaching Judeo-Christianity, which is toxic. That's, uh, okay. I mean, you're talking about a group of people that uh, nailed our Savior to the cross. <laughs> and, to the, okay. and, okay, well, say the sins of the Father, people make mistakes. The problem is, is they believe he's boiling in a cesspool in hell today. So we, we've, okay. we've made no progress with this issue whatsoever. So it's kind of hard to be a Judeo-Christian when they've murdered your quote-unquote messiah so like i said i don't want to get yeah. into religion too much but that's where we're yeah, at yeah yeah no i got you on that but uh bianca what did you take i haven't this is the first time i've spoken to you you uh that was you that was having a discussion with him that night right i mean you guys were i didn't you, you guys were going back and forth there i mean that was a pretty good discussion actually uh was that you <laughs> i'm pretty sure it was well yeah it was me but i've had those discussions for quite some time so i really I don't like to get involved in too much because no matter how many you discuss with, there's always going to be yet another to come. So yeah, uh, okay. I think there was no there was no conclusion to it. Yeah, there was no conclusion. Well, I think I think Bianca, I think that you you weren't you can't sway him in his mind, but the people that were listening. You know, you, you know, the argument is valid. You know what I mean? Or the discussion is valid because you're you convince you 
fulfill a lot of information that questions that people have, you know, and vice versa, you know, not to stick up for one or the other, but you guys were really, really it was a really intelligent uh, conversation about history and the history of religion and whatnot and the Bible, and it was pretty darn good, you know, I, I didn't call for it, but you guys like fed right into each other and it, like, it was like a magnet, you know, it went, it went, it went very well actually. I learned something anyway. Well, I don't know where Sarge has been lately, but uh, hey, uh, I'm going to get ready to wrap up the podcast here. I'm going to go over and listen to the uh, Harry's on tonight, right, Bert? Okay, yeah, I'm going to go over I and check out is. his podcast there. Uh, his phone number is five one six four five three six zero five eight. I'm gonna go over there and check out his. I like. I, I enjoy his podcast a lot. That's why. Um, but uh, closing thoughts to the Federal Reserve. What, I mean, monetary policy. Anybody want to comment here at the end here? Uh, Connecticut, you want to start us off here? Anything? I mean, any ideas? How do we change monetary policy? Because I believe in com- competing currencies. I believe if, if in North Carolina, if I was a legislator, or a lawmaker, I would create a bill or sponsor a bill that would create another type of currency that the people can have. Have or, or 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 I can introduce to the population that they can use to barter with, and we have competing currencies that would drive down cost. I believe that would be the the uh, uh, what I would try to do. And there's a lot of ideas, and I think I've announced them a few times on here. Uh, what do you think, uh, uh, Bitbanker? Uh, I don't have too many closing comments, but coin and currency uh, aren't aren't they uh, di- different uh, alligators altogether? But but that's a hell of an idea, and, and that's what you should do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that would be the ultimate goal is to uh, create that compete because you have to have because right now you can't, and, and state constitution allows you to do that even in the corporation, not the republic uh, venues. That you know, we start getting into laws and government and whatnot. But uh, you know, and uh, real quick though, uh, anybody else want to comment? You know, two weeks they say national lockdown. You know, uh, I don't know if anybody's got an idea or what they think about that, you know, uh, how they're going to handle it. Um, I don't know how I'm going to be going on vacation soon then. There you go. (laughs) Well, if if American citizens have got that bad, would they let the federal government tell them to stay in the house and don't go out in the wild blue yonder? Then I think that rock bottom is closer than what Bert predicts. I agree. I don't think we have to hit rock. I have to disagree with Bert on that aspect. I don't know if he's still on the line or not. I don't think we have to hit rock bottom. I think it's too late. No, I'm just worried you about know, going rock, out. It's rock bottom, you know? I'm just worried about going out and someone coming up to me or to my door with a deadly weapon threatening to use it on me where I, I have to use lethal force to protect myself. That's what I'm worried about. Yeah, because you'll be in the wrong no matter what, especially in the state of Connecticut. You know, it's illegal to have a stun gun in Connecticut. Uh, it's oh, illegal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's illegal Everything's in Massachusetts, uh, Wisconsin. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's illegal except except shoplifting, robberies, stealing cars. <laughs> you know, those are all okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, the case, the case, the case of competing currencies. Is, is, you know, I'm, I've got this in my uh, notes here. You know, I mean, just real quick. You know. On the supply side, a subset of commercial banks would issue loans denominated in their own currency. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't have a bank have the bank get involved. I would have a more or less a private entity uh, that had oversight committee uh, uh, that was uh, elected by the people to. I would give issuance back to the people. 
okay? So you, have, you would have to have an elected oversight committee over any institution that was able to create or print or develop a competing currency because you can't let government be in charge of it, that's for sure. And you sure as heck don't want an offshore private banking cartel in charge of it. It have to be uh, from that state or state-based owned. It would have to be done to, through an American investor uh, or an, invest, an investor from the, uh, that, that's American. We can't have outside uh, influences uh, controlling our money. It just cannot happen. It just can't. Uh, it, it's just it'll be too much. Uh, oh, it'd be oh, too open for corruption, and uh, you know, uh, 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 you know, the theft, theft basically, because that's what the, that's what it's about. You know, theft. I mean, um, you know, a digital currency. I don't believe in that. The digital money versus the dollar. I don't believe that that's the solution either. I don't like cryptocurrency. I don't like anything digital because it's not backed by anything. You know. I mean, uh, a, a true free market requires a true uh, competing currencies. I mean, you can't have a monopoly on one currency. It just doesn't work, it, it, you know. I mean, um, I, I read this at one time, whatever. You know, we have previously looked at how a national currency can arise naturally in the form of public service credits. I don't like that either. You know, by treating the provision of public goods and services as an exchange between the government or public service providers and the general public, we get a currency that automatically compensates public service providers for their services without the need of, for taxation. See, it's not going to work because that leaves open legal tender laws and taxation laws, you know, and, and that's what our current system already has. You know, the national currency is built around legal tender laws and the need for a specific currency in which the public can settle their taxes. And that's the reason why we have a bartering system, basically. Well, I would not have it for tax reasons. I would have it for bartering reasons, okay? doesn't mean you couldn't pay your taxes with the uh, competing currency that I would try to develop. It would mean that you would still be – would, that would not be the reason. And that's what the reason is, why we have our legal tender called the Federal Reserve note, which is a debt-based note, and you are the debt. So – with that being said, it you has know, to be an open a, free market. Yeah, go ahead. Well, anytime you hear a competition between either that on the consumer end or like what you're talking about, it's always going to be better. But, you know, here's another thing that people with uh, some thorough thought can do. Redo your – revise your W-4, which indicates how much withhold from your check, your pay, and put zero. Now, you got to be – you got to be accountable to yourself because you have to pay something at the end of the year. But don't let them hold your money all year long and see how that works out. That's that's uh, that's uh that's very interesting. Well, uh, well, while I still got time, let me put this paradigm at you, the bartering paradigm. You know, we are used to to the the current currency system that we normally don't think of currency as something that anyone can create. And we simply accept that currency creation is the, is the responsibility of the banks in partnership with the government. However, in a true free market currency, it is emergent from the exchanges that take place in the economy, in the bartering paradigm. We view every exchange as being in two halves. In the first half, one party, say P, provides a, goods, good, provides a goods or service to another party, say Q, after some time, which may be as short as a second or as long as you can imagine, Q provides P with a reciprocal good or service in the second half, which completes the exchange. In the first half, it may be generated, which can be used by P to redeem the reciprocal good or service. <laughs> you know, See, it's all confusing, and then you get to the IOU part of it, where you have credit. 
and you start extending long arms of credit. All that has to be eliminated. You have to have responsible fiscal responsibility in your exchange or bartering system. And and I believe that could be created all now we start getting into uh Bianchi, the uh uh the educational system. Start educating the youth on how to spend money and how to be physically fisc- fiscally responsible. You know, and, and, and have responsibility and take charge and have accountability for what they have earned through the labor force or through capitalism or whatever you want to call it. Sure as heck not socialism, but, uh, you know, have that type of way to generate your uh, bartering system or money. And, and, and there's a lot of ideas to explore, and I can't do it, you know, quickly here in 30 minutes, but I have gone over some of that stuff. You know, in the bartering paradigm, we see all manner of exchanges taking place, like uh, different scales, but go ahead. And the Democrats aren't, aren't going to allow you to educate the youth because they're going to teach them their own way. And, you know, you're, you're talking about educating the youth. In, in Connecticut now, I just hear that minimum wage is $13 an hour. So that's, let's just say that's $520 a week. And that's not enough money for these kids who live at home in their basements with their parents to live. That's That's $2,000 a month, but yet... You can get an elderly person collecting 790 890 a month on Social Security who manages to survive and pay their rent. It just, it just goes to show you that they don't want you educating the youth. They're, they're going to buy them off with, with, you know, with wages and things of that nature. Well, trinkets, and if you look, well, pleasures, pleasures they're going to buy them off with. They're going to make them inter- entertained, you know. If you look at the world currencies, or or the yen, the pound, and the dollar, and over the years, if if you turn on, I, I think it's CNN. I don't know. I I only watch it for that reason, and that's it. You'll see that they're they're coming more in line, uh, you know, month after month, year after year. So I I wonder what's up there. I, I well yeah you're right you're right you know it says uh, somebody said in the chat room if you hit the. Uh Hit the lottery, get all, uh, get uh, get it all at once, not over a 20-year spread. You know, if I hit the lottery, um, only sovereign states can uh, decide. Well, that's true. Um, you know, um, it, you know, the thing of it is, is that you know, with that self-governing thing, that self-governing is that really that works only for people that are are moral and or who have some sort of knowledge or common sense. People out there that are, you know, gangbangers or, or people that are dumb, you know, or even these idiots in the backwoods here who don't know anything. Don't that, worry about them. That's not the worst self-governance. Well, don't, don't worry, worry about, about them. them. I'll tell you something else as far as education is concerned. You need to form these educational environments where you can pull your kids out of those schools. If they don't want to go along with your disapproval of critical race theory and they come back with the same thing under a different name, pull your kids out of those schools. Set up something where now somebody's going to have to sacrifice, but set up a mechanism where you can take your children out of the public schools and educate them in an alternative way. I mean, just think yeah. of the damage that's going to do. Yeah, and I think that tomorrow night that's going to be my subject, my topic. Actually, I'm going to be on it. I'll, I guess I'll start the show at eight. Uh, maybe seven or eight. I'm not sure. It'll be seven or eight because I want to call some people. I wanted to. I'm going to try to line up an interview about this critical race theory with somebody that of, uh, of, a, of uh, that's on a school board someplace, or a parent that's uh, disagreeing with it, or that has stood up against the school board and that's gotten flack or in, encountered 
some sort of retraction, you know, some negative uh, consequence because of it. And I think that's going to be tomorrow night's topic, critical race theory. I mean, uh, what, 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 do you, what do you think about that crit- this critical race theory? You know, what's your biggest gripe and concern about it, uh, Bianca, Bianca? It's about hating white people <laughs> from one group. Yeah. That's yeah. what it is, about hating white people. And see, if yeah. you get one of them to tell you what is the nature, what is the subject of this critical race theory. And for those in the know, you can always counter them with just the opposite. Because when you say that somebody done bad, you can always say, well, this person here didn't do that. They done good. And they only want to talk about the bad, that they consider the bad. It's the white man's the devil, white supremacy, white nationalism, and that's what they run with. And it's kind of popular because it's been leading up to that for quite some time. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Well, that's good. I'm going to try to expose the light to that, and I'll put it on social media and see how many of the takers I get. I'll probably end up with the liberal retards that call in. But, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, interesting. All right, guys. Hey, thanks for tuning in tonight. Private call, are you still there? You want to uh, say anything real quick? I see you're still on the line there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um... I remember uh, they were trying to make uh, currency called the Omero. Do you remember that? Yeah, the Omero, North American Union, yeah, Omero. Yeah, uh, they're still talking about that, so I don't know if uh, if you know that. No, I didn't know they're they were still... still talking about it, but I remember the Amero was introduced in 2005, 2006, 2007, and that was going to be the North American uh, Union currency between Mexico, Canada, and the United States and uh, South America. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you're absolutely correct. I remember yeah, that. Yeah, they're still but, uh, trying to I'll look do into that. it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll right. look into it. That most well, definitely. Thank you very much. I certainly will. Uh, hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for uh, tuning in tonight. I appreciate it. God bless the Republic. Tomorrow night, uh, 7 or 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Understand the times which we live today. Ladies and gentlemen, he may not be the man you think he is. He is Dr. Chuck Berkey. And this is the man of the silver and
gaining confidence and growing strength in the air, we shall defend our islands, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight on the landing grounds, we shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender, we shall fight, we shall never surrender, we shall never surrender, we shall never surrender. Everybody's out of work or scared of losing their job. It's all about the nickels worth, too, about the depression and the inflation and the Russians and the crying in the streets. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value.
Almost all the world's constitutions are documents in which governments tell the people what their privileges are. Our constitution is a document in which we, the people, tell the government what it is allowed to do. We, the people, are free. And I hope we have once again reminded people that man is not free unless government is limited. There's a clear cause and effect here that is as neat and predictable as a law of physics. As government expands, liberty contracts. The odds are great, the odds are difficult. People have underestimated the number of people in this country that are interested in a freedom message. Just being free, free of the government oppression of us, whether it's on our liberties, our economic liberties, and they certainly like the uh, foreign policy of non-intervention. All right, everybody, thanks for tuning in tonight. God bless the Republic. Uh, we did a good documentary on the Federal Reserve tonight. <laughs>